You're listening to another episode of Crocology, and this is the conference audio from our most recent Zoomutopia, Zoomutopia 6, Money, Power, or Prayer with the Reverend Stephen Dancer. And what follows now is his conference talk, his sermon on this great topic of prayer. So stay tuned, listen, and we'll see you at the end. Well, I wonder if you would uh, turn with me to uh, Luke chapter 11. Uh, Luke chapter 11. And uh, we come to a place where Jesus uh, teaches about prayer. And I want to read the first 13 verses. So let's uh, seek the Lord as we, uh, as we read his word. Let's hear God's word together. Now Jesus was praying in a certain place. And when he finished... One of his disciples said to him, Lord, teach us to pray, as John taught his disciples. And he said to them, when you pray, say, Father, hallowed be your name, your kingdom come. Give us each day our daily bread and forgive us our sins, as we ourselves forgive everyone who is indebted to us. And lead us not into temptation. And he said to them, which of you who has a friend will go to him at midnight and say to him, friend, lend me three loaves for a friend of mine has arrived on a journey and I have nothing to set before him. And he will answer from within, do not bother me. The door is now shut and my children are with me in bed. I cannot get up and give you, give you anything. I tell you, though he will not get up and give him anything, because he is his friend, yet because, because he is his friend, yet because of his impudence, he will rise and give him whatever he needs. And I tell you, ask, and it will be given to you. Seek, and you will find. Knock, and it will be opened to you. For everyone who asks receives, and the one who seeks finds, and the one who knocks it will be opened. What father among you, if his son asks for a fish, will instead of a fish give him a serpent? Or if he asks for an egg, will give him a scorpion? If you then who are evil know how to give good gifts to your children, how much more will the heavenly father give the Holy Spirit to those who ask him? Amen. Well, it's been uh, 20 years since I, I started studying theology formally. And uh, one, one of the things I learned pretty quickly in studying was the need to read the question uh, carefully. Uh, and I learned, learned the hard way because uh, in my, my first ever uh, seminary essay, if you like, uh, I was given an F by my tutor with a comment underneath that said, you have not read the question. So that was a salutary lesson, read the question. And I think that we need to address the question that uh, I've been given this evening, which is, uh, which is in the title, money, power, or prayer. And I think there should be a question mark after that, money, power, or prayer. Um, because the question, uh, it, it betrays uh, a temptation, doesn't it? Um, and the temptation is this, that whatever sphere of Christian endeavor we're thinking of, we are tempted to substitute 
money, resources, uh, gifts and skills, uh, networks of relationships, in place of heartfelt, believing, maybe even desperate prayer. For example, uh, you know, as a church, we've just been talking about church planting. Uh, maybe you're, you can imagine a church planter with uh, all the money and the income streams in place and a core group of gifted people uh, working alongside him. And uh, he has a work ethic to do all the jobs that, that need to be done. And in a sense, he could be tempted to, to put his feet up, spiritually speaking, and not offer believing prayer for that work. After all, you know, everything's in place. Or think of the ordinary Christian in an ordinary church who's a good job, uh, lives an orderly life, you know, everything's tickety-boo, and, uh, uh, but and maybe has fallen out of the habits of believing prayer because, well, you know, all his needs are, are being supplied. And uh, he just carries on in a kind of almost prayer-free uh, way of life. Or think of a Christian who has been in a small church for many years, who perhaps has a you know, high view of, of the sovereignty of God. And and yet sees little progress in his own church and maybe in his own personal life. And he's become a little bit fatalistic, perhaps. Uh, God will do what God will do. Ki sera sera, whatever will be, will be. Um, and he simply got out of the habit of praying. Or at least he makes his prayers so general that he doesn't expect a particular answer, and then he won't be disappointed. In all of these cases, and, and there are many other kinds of scenarios, uh, these, are, these are cases of people uh, who have fallen into the habit of failing to trust God and his promises, and instead of going, getting on their knees to pray to God and bring all the needs to God, they have simply found something else to put their trust in. I think that's what the, the title is all about. That's the temptation that we, we face. Well, prayer is not an add-on to the Christian life. It's not a, an optional extra for the Christian. Actually, it's a necessity for the Christian life. That's also in the subtitle to what we're looking at tonight. And what kind of, so what kind of necessity is it? Uh, let me just give you a few quotations from uh, Christians of the past. Uh, Martin Luther says this, he who does not pray should know that he is no Christian and does not belong to the kingdom of God. So it's necessary if you're a member of the kingdom of God. John Knox, uh, the great Scots reformer, uh, prayer is the very branch which springs from true faith. In other words, uh, true faith produces prayer. Or think of Matthew Henry. You may as soon, to quote him, he says, you may as soon find a living man without breath as a living man without prayer. Or finally, J.C. Ryle, who says, I dare not say that anyone believes until he prays. And then follows that up with prayer is to faith 
what breath is to life. And you get the idea? Uh, do you see what uh, all these men, uh, great men of the past have been saying? Uh, prayer is a necessity because it flows inevitably, inevitably from true faith in Jesus Christ. From, uh, it's, it's like breath that comes from a newborn baby and, and issues in a cry, uh, a wonderful cry of life that has appeared. And uh, prayer is like that. So as we've addressed the question then, uh, can I just pause for a moment and ask you, how's your prayer life today? Are you praying? Are you praying believingly? As though your life depended on it. Well, as you, as you think about that, and uh, we've got plenty of time to think about that over the next hour or so, I want to look at this question of prayer uh, from Luke chapter 11, which we just read a moment ago. And it's, it's one of, this is one of the passages that helps us because I think it does three things. It, it, first of all, it commands us and instructs us in what to pray. It then exhorts us how to pray. And then it reminds us of the promise that God answers and hears prayer because he is a loving Heavenly Father. So those are the three things I want to work through with you. First of all, we have here instruction about what to pray, uh, verses 1 to 4. And, uh, you know, the disciples, they come to Jesus with this great request. Lord, teach us to pray, verse 2. And their disciples they have a desire to pray, but they're not sure what to pray. They're uh, a bit like babies learning to communicate. They want to talk, but they have no idea what words to use. And Jesus then gives them a, a model prayer to pray. And it's a prayer, of course, you'll, you'll recognize parts of it, uh, probably the more uh, similar to Jesus teaching on prayer in Matthew chapter 6 in the Sermon on the Mount. Uh, Luke's version is just a little bit shorter. Um, than the prayer that uh, we, you may re recite in, your, in church or uh, say together as the Lord's Prayer. Um, and it's, it's given in a, a different setting from the Sermon on the Mount. Uh, here, Jesus is with his, his disciples. Um, and the fact that it's set in two different settings tells us that how to pray was a regular part of Jesus' ministry and teaching to the disciples. And the fact that there are two versions of it recorded uh, tell us that what we have here uh, is, is a pattern for prayer, um, a framework, if you like, for the kinds of elements that are to be included in prayer. So we may pray this, pray this prayer as it is, but more likely what Jesus is doing here is giving us the, the kind of pattern um, to be shaped and formed according to the circumstances at the time. Uh, so we fill out the parts with uh, particular needs that we have at particular times. So it's a, it's a pattern, it's a shape that uh, we can uh, learn from and uh, use in our own praying. So let me just quickly skim through the, the content of, of this, this pattern for prayer. And the first thing I want you to notice is that this is a prayer to the Father. 
Matthew says, our father. Uh, but in this more intimate setting, Luke simply says, father. And it's worth remembering that it's part of the, the regenerating work of the Holy Spirit who comes into a life uh, to bring life to that new, that new creature. That's uh, one of the things that happens, inevitably happens, with the Holy Spirit coming in, is that uh, the person cry, is able to cry, Abba, Father. This is what Paul teaches us in Romans 8.15 where he says, you have received the spirit of adoption as sons by whom we cry, Abba, Father. And he says a similar thing in Galatians 4, 6, that is by the spirit that we cry, Abba, Father. Because what happens is that when you undergo that regenerating work of the Holy Spirit, you see God differently. You see him no longer as a distant deity far away from you where um, he's hard to approach and he's distant and not interested in you, and maybe only interested in your sin. But now you see him as your loving Heavenly Father. And actually your heart goes out to him and you say, Abba, Father. Because you've seen something of the fact that he is the most loving, perfect, caring Father that is, it is possible to conceive of. And that the goal of prayer, therefore, is to get to this Father. Uh, this is the great work of the sovereign God, isn't it, in salvation. That he brings people to himself. He effects reconciliation through the gospel, the power of the Holy Spirit. And now we can commune with God our Father. And we are invited warmly to call him that. So this is a very intimate, personal approach that we're, we're invited to make to our God. But secondly, uh, notice that there are then two requests about God himself. Um, the two are, uh, hallowed be your name, and then your kingdom come. And I found it, I don't know if other people found this, but I found it that it's come of something of a surprise to people when I've spoken to them about this, to realize that the, the, the leading part of this prayer, and, and in Matthew 6 as well, is that we, we pray to God about things to do with God. We actually make requests about God. Hallowed be your name, your kingdom come. And when we say that God's, let God's name be hallowed, uh, we're praying that there'll be more and more people will hold his, his name in high regard. That uh, in, in our hearts, he is, he is exalted and uh, we, we have a godly fear of him that comes from a place of love. Uh, not the fear of being afraid of harm and so on, but rather the kind of fear that grips our affections and drives us in love towards him and away from sin. It's that kind of uh, desire. And then connected with that idea of hallowed be your name, 
is this other request that his kingdom come. And uh, now we're not talking here, when we talk about his kingdom, we're not talking about his wise and perfect, the, the wise and perfect rule of God over all things, which will always be present. And in a sense, we don't need to pray about that because God is, he, he is running things perfectly. But this is about the advance of Christ's mediatorial kingdom, if you like. It's about, in other words, it's about the advance of the gospel in the world. And so, uh, so we have that. So the prayer opens with these two concerns. Uh, Hallowed be your name, your kingdom come. But then thirdly, we come to three requests that concern Christians' needs and the church's needs collectively, corporately. And notice, you know, that these requests are made in the plural. Uh, give us each day our daily bread. Forgive us our sins. Lead us not into temptation. Now, of course, this is a prayer that uh, individuals can pray uh, in isolation when he or she thinks about distant brothers and sisters elsewhere. But it's also true that these are requests that are most naturally made when Christians gather together. You ever thought about that? The Lord's Prayer, when Matthew 6 begins, Our Father who art in heaven. You ever, does it ever occur to you that uh, actually the setting for that prayer is the corporate prayer meeting? Uh, Jesus teaches that we get together to pray. Christians should get together to pray. And you must remember Jesus' wonderful promise in Matthew 18, 20, for where two or three are gathered in my name, there am I among them. So what are those three prayers then? Um, still under this third heading, these of Christians' needs. Well, there's daily bread. Uh, pray for daily bread. And this is where perhaps our dependence on maybe money and networks and skills and gifts and so on uh, can be highlighted. Um, that, that temptation to put our trust in these things. Uh, because if you have all these things, why do you need to ask God for daily bread and daily needs and practical needs. But we're invited to remember that all we have comes not primarily from our labors, but ultimately from God. And we need to keep asking God to provide for us, even in the good and the fat times of life. And then we've got the request for forgiveness of sins. Uh, the forgiveness of God. And of course, we're being taught here to keep short accounts with God, not to secretly cherish sin in our hearts and try and hide it from God, which he knows anyway, but rather to let the, the abundant mercy of God uh, be in a, a daily experience as we remember the gospel promises. And then as we let it radiate out to others, as we offer forgiveness to our brothers and sisters. Um, all of grace, of course. Uh, but we need to pray and keep short accounts with God and confess our sins to the Lord. And then the last thing is the need to go, uh, uh, that we are not led into temptation. And we need to think this one through a little bit. Um, it's not immediately obvious uh, what that may mean, but... Uh, 
In the wise providence of God, of course, uh, Christians always face trials and testings, don't they? Uh, you and I, we face trials and testings all the time. But this prayer uh, is, is to take place when we're in the midst of trials which are for our ultimate good. And we are to, when we're facing a trial, we're in great difficulty, and some of the difficulties can be really painful and difficult. Um, this is a prayer that we seek God's help not to succumb to the sinful desires that then arise in our hearts as we undergo all these difficult trials. Um, in other words, this, this is a prayer that we're helped, that we may be helped to live in holiness no matter what we face in life. Well, that's my quick skim through of the content of this prayer. Uh, and I think you can see then, as you think about that, that our praying, Jesus teaches us here, that our praying needs to have certain focal points. One, that we remember that we have a Heavenly Father who loves us. Two, that we express a concern for his glory and the advance of his kingdom, uh, Christ's kingdom. Three, that we, as a body of God's people, are helped to live in God's grace, mercy, and holiness. So the obvious question at this point then is, how does our prayer life, your prayer life, my prayer life, compare with this pattern? What do I focus on when I pray? There are some bad habits we can develop, aren't there? Such as, uh, you know, bringing a shopping list to God, uh, a shopping list of needs, and we bring it to God. Or prayers that, that sound like a memo issued from the health and safety executive. Keep so-and-so safe and don't let them do that and let this, not this bad thing befall them. And it's not that we shouldn't pray about some of these things. It's just that as, we, as I look at the teaching of Jesus, and as you look at the examples of the prayers of the apostles, for example, in their letters, you know, they're always telling us, Paul's always telling us what he's praying for. Um, they always seem to be concerned about the glory of God, the advance of uh, Christ's kingdom, and the growth and maturity of believers uh, as they live their lives for, for him. And I think that's what's here in this uh, prayer, what to pray. Uh, in verses one to four. Well, let's move on. And secondly, how to pray? How to pray? How should we pray? And this is verses five through to 10. And uh, Jesus uses a, a little parable to illustrate the, uh, the how of praying. Uh, and Jesus is kind of effectively saying, um, you know, just imagine this scenario. An old friend unexpectedly appears at your doorstep He's passing through but needs somewhere to stay for the night. And you want to provide hospitality, but you've no food. What are you going to do? I know. I'll go and ask my friend for three loaves. You know what? For, for enough for the family and for this friend. Now, your, your friendship may not be enough to persuade him, your friend, this other friend, to get up in the middle of the night and disturb the children and offer his help. But if you're bold enough, if you're persistent enough, if you're impudent enough, 
then he will give you what you need. Uh, so that's that's a friend for you. Now you might, might think this is not a great picture to use as an encouragement to prayer. Um, it's kind of annoying to do this to someone. Uh, and you can understand why some people, uh, why someone being asked to get out of bed at night might be more than a little grumpy uh, as they do so. And uh, we might be tempted to think that God is like that. And we'll, we'll see in a minute that he's not like that. But uh, uh, how does this then teach us about prayer? Well, of course, Jesus. what Jesus is doing here is he's arguing from the lesser to the greater. Um, in other words, if the bleary-eyed friend will get up to grumpily give you some bread and get rid of you, how much more willing will God be to give you what you need? See, lesser to the greater. Take a grumpy scenario, and how much more is God going to answer than your grumpy friend? And so knowing that, we need to be careful that we, we draw the right lesson out of this little parable, and we focus on the right aspect of it, um, because... Of course, the point of this is not to illustrate that God is somehow reluctant or grumpy in uh, answering prayer. Not in any way at all. He, he certainly is not. Now, the focus here is on persistence, the persistence of the one asking. Or as the ESV says, impudence, or the King James says, uh, importunity. Uh, this idea of persistence. And here, here's the thing about that, you know, persistence. If you're persistent about something, it actually indicates something deeper. That you care about the thing that you're asking for. That you really believe the thing you're asking for matters. You see, if you believe it matters, you're going to keep at it and keep going and keep pursuing and I think that's what Jesus is teaching us here. He's not only teaching us what to pray for, but you need to pray these things as though they matter. And so you will develop a persistence because it does matter to you. Uh, last Sunday uh, in our church, we were looking at Paul's words in Romans 1, 8 to 15. Uh, uh, I think people generally tend to look at verses 1 to 7 of Romans 1 and then go to Romans 1, 16 to 17 as a great statement of, of justification and miss out the 8 to 15. But there's something really interesting about 8 to 15, Romans 1, 8 to 15, where you get something of the heart of Paul, the Apostle Paul, uh, in his, uh, which it comes about because of the gospel being at work in his life. You see, the gospel has changed Paul um, uh, massively. Uh, such that he has a longing for fellowship with the Romans that he's, he's never, as a church, he's never been to. And he wants to, to, mutually, to mutually encourage them. He wants to encourage them and he wants to be encouraged by them in his gospel endeavors. And for Paul, that longing gets converted into prayer, into fervent praying, for a very practical thing, uh, that somehow the way might be opened up for him to, to go and visit Rome and pass through. 
and it is a persistent prayer of Paul. He is always praying it. That word always is there. He's always praying it. And he has intended many times to come, but thus far hasn't been able to. But that doesn't stop him continuing to persistently ask for the opportunity to go. He loves the church. He longs for fellowship with him. It really matters to him. And he is, as it were, constantly knocking on the door of heaven, seeking an opportunity to go to Rome. So you see Paul's desire here is fueling his prayer. And desire really matters for our prayer lives. Um, Westminster Short Catechism asked this question. What is prayer? A beautifully simple question. What is prayer? But the, and the answer begins like this. Prayer is an offering up of our desires unto God. Now, it's an interesting answer because it puts a lot of weight on our desires, doesn't it? It's, prayer is an offering up of our desires unto God. In fact, it's, a, it's almost a requirement that it be a desire that comes from the heart, the things that we pray for. You know, and I think that's why uh, Jesus says in, in verse 9, uh, and I tell you, ask and it will be given to you, seek and you will find, knock and it will be opened to you. Uh, Jesus is not simply uh, repeating himself in three different ways, but there is a, a growing intensity Ask, seek, knock. Uh, an intensity to praying, a growing intensity to prayer, driven by a heartfelt desire for what it is you're praying for. Now, I need to pause again here and ask a question. Is it possible that one of the reasons that uh, your prayer life, my prayer life, our prayer life is so ineffective and weak is because the things that I pray for, I don't really desire. I know I should pray this pattern of prayer. I know I should pray about certain situations and certain people. Yet in my heart of heart, do I really care that much? And the evidence that I do care, I think, is that I'm persistent in those prayers. The evidence that I don't care is that I'm not persistent in my praying about the things that really matter. You see, God wants us to care about the things that he cares about. Actually, it's so important that this is the way that he, is, he has ordained how he is going to work out his purposes in redemption. That often when he is about to do something, he is at work by his spirit to move men and women to begin to pray for it. And in fact, there's that. Have you ever come across this alarming statement of James in James 4.2? He says, you do not have because you do not ask. Does anybody else find that a troubling statement? You do not have because you do not ask. The obvious invitation is, well, get on and ask for it. And ask persistently. Have a desire for it. 
So how do you pray? How do you pray? Is it by rote? Do you rattle off the Lord's Prayer every morning or evening before you go to sleep? Do you have a, a dreary list? You know you should work through, but you never seem to be able to find the time. Is it perhaps because you don't really desire what you're praying for that you have little sense of your need and dependency and you certainly haven't got desperation? May God work in our hearts to give us these God-given, spirit-worked desires that drives us to persistence. Well, we need something to finish with some encouragement. Uh, some more encouragement. I've been beating with a stick here, so uh, let's be encouraged instead and come to the final section, verses 11 to 13. Because what these verses show us is that God is not like the grumpy friend, after all. Uh, what these verses show us is that God is committed to giving us the very best thing that we truly need. And again, this is an argument from the lesser to the greater, uh, from earthly fathers to our heavenly father. And, uh, and what's the lesser argument? Well, it, men, you know, you and I, if we're men and we've got children, um, we're full of sin, we're full of uh, evil by nature, says Jesus, yet uh, even you, says Jesus, give good gifts to your children. So if that's true, how much more is God going to give us good gifts to our children? And to illustrate that, Jesus gives us some ridiculous scenarios uh, to explain what the father is doing in answering prayer. So verse 11, uh, what father among you, if his son asks for a fish, will instead give him a serpent? <laughs> or if he asks for an egg, will give him a scorpion? <laughs> what a ridiculous scenario, isn't it? It's crazy. And, and everybody says, no, they wouldn't do that. Of course not. You know, it's kind of like, I remember once as a, a student, um, I went to a friend, I needed a screwdriver for something. And I said, so Ken, could you give me a screwdriver? Have you got a screwdriver I can borrow? And he said, no, but I've got a spanner. What? This person clearly doesn't know what you do with a screwdriver or a spanner. Um, so, uh, and uh, Jesus is telling that kind of ridiculous scenario. Uh, to illustrate how, how God is good, that God would never do such a thing, that God gives us exactly what we need. He knows how to give us good gifts, gifts, and he knows when to give us them in exactly the right proportions. Well, Jesus finishes off uh, his teaching on, on prayer here with uh, maybe a statement that might surprise us because he seems to be saying at the end, you know, the answer to, to all your requests is more of the Holy Spirit. Um, if you then who are evil know how to give good, good gifts to your children, how much more will the Heavenly Father give the Holy Spirit to those who ask him? As though the answer to all problems is more of the Holy Spirit. And I, I remember as a young Christian reading this and being ever so slightly disappointed um, because I didn't realize that I need more of the Holy Spirit. Uh, but to understand this, you, you need to go back to the prayer that, that Jesus teaches us to pray in verses 1 to 4. Uh, and remember the emphasis that God's name may be hallowed and his kingdom may come. How's that going to happen? 
Well, it's through the church that Jesus sends, uh, as, as Jesus sends the church out in the power of the Holy Spirit, that the gospel is going to come. It's the power of the Holy Spirit that energized Jesus in his ministry. And it's after Pentecost, that same spirit is given to the church to be the means by which prayer is answered. Or that we, as we depend on God for our practical needs and uh, the needs of our Christian lives growing to maturity and so on, as we seek his grace and uh, we uh, resist in the fight against temptation, uh, how again is that going to happen? Well, it's through the indwelling power of that same Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit is the bringer of grace and help in our time of need. You see, the answers to the Lord's Prayer, when prayed with boldness and persistence, will be answered through the ministry of the Holy Spirit. And let me assert that th th this prayer will be answered when you come to the Father and trust him as a loving Heavenly Father who really does want your very best. Now, brothers and sisters, does that not encourage you to pray according to the pattern that Jesus gives us? Let's pray now. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for your wonderful word. Thank you for our wonderful Savior, Jesus Christ. Thank you for the great gift of salvation. That through that salvation, we can be reconciled to you. That we can know you and enter into communion with you. And that we can come and make our requests known to you. And we can know that you will hear our prayers and you will answer them. Father, we pray that you'd work in us this kind of persistence that comes from an intense desire for the glory of God. And that we may be, live in all, our, in all your grace and mercy and help in time of temptation. Lord, enable us, we pray, in Jesus' name. you've been listening to Gregology, do make sure to subscribe to our podcast, as well as check us out online, gr-uk.org, to find the rest of these conference uh, audio files or watch them as a video or other content that we're updating uh, every week. Thank you.